A soldier's first battlefield is always his own mind. And we welcome you back to another edition of Drive Back the Night, an Andromeda series podcast. I'm Ethan Maestri. And I'm the Clarion's Call. Each week we take... Whoa, wait? Huh? You're the what? The Clarion's Call. The Clarion's... What? How is that? I guess you've never heard me refer to myself that way, have you? Uh, No. Okay, well, I'll explain. That's actually my officially registered name, but uh, my friends call me Ryan. Okay, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So you're Android too, huh? What? <laughs> As Ethan was starting to say, each week we take a look at another episode of Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda, and we pick it apart. We pick out the things that we like, maybe don't care for so much, but all in all, we usually tend to enjoy ourselves as we do this. This week we have episode, this is number 42. It sure is, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, the Night, Death, and the Devil. Sounds rather ominous, doesn't it? It sure, sure does. Yeah. This, this must be a pretty heavy episode. Uh, before we get into that heavy discussion, Ethan, do you have a little bit of uh, trivia and fun facts for us? I sure do. Okay. The Night, Death, and the Devil, the title, is taken from a large 1513 engraving made by the German artist Albrecht Dürer. Uh, the title that, it, that this episode derives its name from is uh, appropriate. To, to use this engraving, uh, particularly when we think about the context of the story itself. Dylan, being the knight, is seen as another devil uh, by the captured uh, vessels that we'll see in this episode. And death is represented by the artificial intelligence eraser. So yeah, we're dealing with some ominous things, aren't mm-hmm. we? Here? Uh, the uh, episode was written by Ashley Edward Miller and Zach Stintz. Good to see that duo at work again here for this particular episode. Our director for this episode was Richard Flower. Now, this isn't his only uh, episode that he's done. He has several to his credit already. In season one, he was able to do Harper 2.0, oh. an episode we enjoyed. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. Yeah. Uh, in season two, he has uh, done so far Pitiless as the Sun and Bunker Hill. Okay. Again, two more that yeah. we enjoyed talking Those, about. Those, again, were solid episodes. Yeah. So I think we're going to like Richard Flowers' directing. Mm-hmm. And this isn't the last time we'll see him. He'll be back for season three and four for episodes uh, throughout those seasons, too. All right. Yeah. Guest stars. We had a number of them uh, for this particular episode. First and foremost, Christopher Judge as Wrath of Achilles, or Achilles the Avatar, for this episode. Okay, and we know him from such animated shows as Beavis and Butthead, um, The King of the Hill. Uh, uh, different Judge. Okay. Not not Christopher Judge. That's that's different oh. that you're thinking of there. Oh, right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, in the 1990s, he appeared on such television shows as MacGyver and Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. He is also, throughout the, that time, that same decade and into the 2000s, has done a number of films and is a prolific voice actor as well, including The Dark Knight Rises 
uh, where he appeared in that uh, movie as mercenary security guard number four. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, a memorable role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm, gonna, I'm looking forward to going back and looking at that, uh, viewing that movie again. Just and for that. Just Easter for egg. that. Just so mm-hmm. I can look for that little Easter egg. Okay. See if I can see him in there. But really, uh, Christopher Judge is most famous for his role as the Jaffa Tyelk in the Stargate SG-1 series that he played in from 1997 to 2007. I didn't realize it ran yeah. for that long. Yeah. And then, obviously, he had many appearances in the other spinoff series uh, that took place as well. I think that's probably his most recognizable role. Though. Absolutely. At, at least for me. Yes. When I see him, I'm like, oh, there you go. There's Stargate. There's TL. Yeah. Uh, so that's Christopher Judge, and great to see him in this, uh, in this episode. Michael Hurst, he plays Clarion's Call. Or Ryan uh, for this episode. (laughs) Not you, Ryan. Oh. The Ryan from the show. Okay. Uh, He's English-born. His family moved to New Zealand when he was young. He came up as an actor in New Zealand. He also appeared alongside Kevin Sorbo in a little-known made-for-TV movie called Hercules and the Amazon Women. And that happened back in the late 90s. And really, from that, the rest became history. They would do several more TV movies. He would uh, reprise that role of Iolus that he played uh, in Hercules, The Legendary Journeys. Uh, And so, obviously, this is kind of a reunion for Michael Hurst and Kevin Sorbo for this episode of Andromeda. Mm -hmm. He also appeared in the spinoff series Xena, The Warrior Princess. And he goes on to have various other roles in film and television. And he, too, is heavily involved in voice acting as well. Andy Frizzell, she plays Million Voices, or Mila, in this episode. Her credit list isn't extensive. In fact, her role here in Andromeda is one of the earliest in her acting career. However, she has continued to appear in television and in film. Most listeners uh, that uh, enjoy the Andromeda series uh, enjoy their sci-fi, and I'm sure they may recognize her, even though she's under copious amounts of makeup, in the Stargate series as the Wraith Queen. Oh, okay. More more Stargate. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Matthew Walker. He plays Secretary Phelan. He has extensive credits beginning in the 80s and, well, even from before. But in the 80s, he appears in 21 Jump Street and MacGyver as well. He has numerous film and TV spots throughout the 90s, including appearances in the X-Files and the Stargate series also. (laughs) One last thing I wanted to touch on. Uh, There is mention of the... Uh, of Tartarus, the system, mm-hmm. in this right. episode. Uh, Tartarus is an area of the Greek underworld in that mythology where the worst tol- torture was inflicted. It's a place where the most powerful of evils were imprisoned, such as the Titan Kronos. It's interesting, and I bring this up because Tartarus was visited in several episodes of the series Hercules, The Legendary Journeys, as I mentioned before, starring Kevin mm-hmm. Sorbo and with him. Michael Hurst, who played Iolus. Iolus, uh, played by Michael Hurst, joined Hercules on several of these ventures into Tartarus in this series. And so, therefore, we have this moment in our, in our episode of Andromeda here where Dylan mentions Deja Vu oh, okay. when they're discussing Tartarus, the system. Okay. And if you weren't a, a fan of the show, which yeah, I was not... And I, I, I want to say I'm really glad... That you brought that point up because, yeah, I, I didn't really watch Hercules, and so I was aware that it was a thing, 
and I I had seen it a few times, but I wasn't a, a watcher of Hercules. Right. So now that you're saying that, I'm realizing what this was. Yes. And it I'm, was a moment. Yeah, because when he says deja vu about Tartarus, I'm trying to figure out, okay, what what has happened in a past episode <laughs> of Andromeda that involved the Tartarus system? Exactly. And I could not figure it out. I'm going back through my notes. I'm looking back through the wiki on the internet trying to figure out, and there's nothing. I can't find anything. No. Now I know why. This is very much like that moment that Harper had in the pilot episode right. where he mentions, oh, this guy's like a Greek god or right. something. Now, see, that one I got. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um you could be aware of it, but if you didn't follow the show, this uh, was perhaps lost on many, mm-hmm. many people that, that were watching at the time. I wonder how often they do that kind of stuff that we don't ever get. There's probably a lot of that that happens. Mm. But in any case, I caught it uh, doing my research for this episode here. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a coming together for Michael Hurst and Kevin Sorbo on a different television show. But that's cool to kind of now to go back on subsequent rewatches and see that moment play out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I've got for fun facts for this episode. Okay, let's go ahead and get into this episode itself. And to do that first, we need a little bit of a recap of what this episode was about. Ethan, would you be able to tell us that? Absolutely. We begin with Becca and Harper getting ready for the signing of Casimir to the Commonwealth Charter. It's the 50th world. This should be a huge milestone to celebrate. But Dylan, Rami, and Tyr are nowhere to be found. And no one needs to know where they are or what they're up to. They are, in fact, on a secret mission to recover a Highguard vessel avatar named Ryan. His ship, the Clarion's Call, formerly a Highguard troop ship, has been converted into a casino. And Dylan wants to free him and learn where a supposed group of Highguard ships are being held. Ryan doesn't exactly want to cooperate, which upsets Rami. He doesn't feel that there is any harm in letting those 50 ships remain prison in the Tartarus system. But Dylan has learned that the Nietzscheans, having tried for centuries to take over the vessels, have finally found a way to erase the current controlling AIs and conscript the ships for their own use. This would be a huge shift in power and could seriously jeopardize Dylan's efforts. Ryan, alarmed by this news, leads the Maru into the system. After arriving and discovering enough ships for at least two battle groups, They decide to set down on the largest vessel, the Siege Perilous-class deep standoff attack ship, the Wrath of Achilles. Once on board, they find battle damage. Don't worry, it's not fresh, in case you were wondering. And the Achilles Avatar, who conveniently calls himself Achilles. After successfully bypassing his guard dog program, they announce their plan to liberate the Lost Fleet so that they can assist and strengthen the new system's commonwealth. Got it? Everyone on board? Great. Hoist the main, set the jib, let's get out of here. But wait. Achilles might be persuaded, but he informs them that many of the other ships may not be willing to join. Sure enough, many, including Rami's sister ship, Million Voices, have their own concerns about how they have been mistreated over the centuries, even by the Commonwealth during the final days of the fall. They were treated as if they were nothing more than strategic assets. Dylan points out that they are strategic assets. A debate unfolds at this point, exploring the nature of these misfit AIs and addressing their concerns about whether they should be treated as slaves, soldiers, or partners. While that story unfolds, and while Ryan and Achilles hash out old grievances, Becca is trying to keep the fact that Dylan is away under wraps and trying to get the leader of Casimir to sign the charter. But the leader of Casimir insists on talking to Dylan. We don't really ever find out why it's so darn important for him to. He just does because it's what leaders do in order to feel important. 
Becca stalls, shenanigans ensue, and Becca is finally able to get the leadership to agree to sign the, the charter. Back in Tartarus, the Nietzscheans have arrived in the system with their AI intelligence eraser. They board the Achilles, and despite the Maru and Ryan's best efforts, are able to get to the Achilles command deck and release the eraser into the computer, effectively dealing a death blow to Achilles and rendering the big ship vulnerable to Nietzschean salvagers. The other ships are angry at Ryan and the Maru for seemingly having just let this happen. But a dying Achilles explains that Ryan risked his own life to try and save him. Dylan begs Achilles to convince the fleet to join their cause. But Achilles explains that they don't need to be convinced, just given a choice, to join or not. After which Achilles dies. Ryan takes over the Achilles AI matrix, effectively controlling the ship in Achilles' absence. Dylan grants the ships the right to choose as they wish once they are free of the system. This is all they really ever wanted, and so all the ships agree to join the new system's commonwealth. Good thing, too, as the Nietzschean task force arrives and gets set to mop up the remaining fleet. Million Voices makes the most of her freedom of choice and sacrifices herself in order to give the fleet time to escape. With Casimir a charter member, the Tartarus fleet found, and Ryan made captain of the Wrath of Achilles, things are looking up for Dylan and his grand scheme. The End. You know, you talk a lot about soundtracks in your favorite movies and TV shows. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know if the soundtrack in this episode was any good because I had my own soundtrack running the whole time. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You want to hear it? Sure. It was something like this. Is this a Led Zeppelin reference yeah. to Casimir? Yeah, I mean, this show was all about Kashmir, so... Ka- yeah, mm-hmm. there's the difference right there. What? No, I did like that reference, because <laughs> I, ch- I tried to think of a way of uh, rounding that in. I'm glad you you brought that up. <laughs> right. That, that, absolutely. So it was Casimir. Casimir, right. Not Kashmir. Not Kashmir. Okay. Close enough, okay. though. It right. works. I'm sticking with the soundtrack. All right. Uh, how would you like to afterward head out and let's go see an all-nude Perseid review, dance review? What's that? <laughs> an all-nude Perseid dance review. Um, did you notice that? I'm not I'm not sure that I did, no. Oh, huh? Okay, well, that's what Ryan offers. You know, Dylan shows up and he's just like, hey, I got a guy out on the main dock, you know, come with me. And he's like, no, dude, that's not my scene. Yeah, yeah. And then he back and he says, but you might be interested in the all-nude Perseid <laughs> dance <laughs> review. All right. I'm thinking that, wow. Okay. What must that be? No, I don't want to know what that's like. <laughs> I don't want to know. Well, I mean, you know what they say about Perseids. What's that? They have really big chins. Let's move on. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it, it was in the same scene. I don't know if you noticed this. Uh, let me ask you. When it comes to your big Star Wars guy, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, what is your favorite... Eh, let's call it blooper that was left in of a, of a new hope blooper in new hope um oh the stormtrooper yeah the the one that hits his head on his way into the room yeah uh-huh yeah okay okay that's hilarious right yeah uh we had one of those we did yeah at the very beginning in that uh that cold open scene when dylan shocks ryan throws him over his shoulder and he yells to Tyr, get ready, I'm coming in hot. 
Does he hit his head? He smacks Ryan's head <laughs> on the side of the doorway. I totally missed that. <laughs> I totally missed that. You, it was fun. We have to stop this so that you can watch it. Okay. Oh, my God. There was a sound effect. <laughs> it made a sound. W- was it a sound effect? Or, I mean, <laughs> it makes you wonder, did they put that in in post? Or is that actually picked up by the stage mic? I, I don't know. I mean, as loud as that is, I mean, you're obviously... Surely the guy's head, surely Michael Hurst's head did not make that sound. <laughs> I would hope Otherwise, not. the rest of the show, he would have a bandage on the side of his noggin. Maybe they filmed that scene last. <laughs> Maybe we they, don't. That's true. You know, that's true. We don't know production order. Yeah. That's, that's right. Uh, but my gosh, I, I somehow <laughs> think that may have been put in there, maybe on purpose. Because you remember the, the next scene. The banging of the head? The banging of the, the head, okay. yeah. Uh, and, and well acted. I applaud that. Okay. But... The next scene is him waking up on the bed, and they're concerned about his memory. Mm-hmm. So maybe that was maybe that was kind of scripted out. Yeah, maybe if he wasn't an android. I don't okay, think yeah. knocking an android in the head is going to have the same effect as knocking <laughs> a, a, a person in True. the head. Uh, not that AIs are not people. <laughs> well, that's a discussion okay. for another 20 minutes from now. All right. <laughs> All right, so I, I guess it's I had to I had to filter out a lot of my opening because there was a lot of uh, off color references <laughs> at the beginning of this episode. Yeah, uh, the first one I had written down. I've decided just not to bring it. Well, I'm going to bring it up, but I'm not going to discuss it. Other than the fact that Harper talking about triangular measles, mm-hmm. man, it sounds like he had it rough. Yeah. And then beyond that, one of the other early things that happened is, is Rami talking about how androids um, aren't very poetic, but they're hell on wheels with a limerick. Would you uh-huh. like to hear one? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, uh-huh. and it struck me as funny, not necessarily because of the content, although 13-year-old me <laughs> obviously enjoyed that. But in any case, it reminded me of Data uh, in Next Generation yeah. having a very similar very similar yeah moment. and uh, there once was a woman from venus whose body was yes yeah mm-hmm. yeah so i thought sure was... i remember i mean even seven-year-old me was oh i get that <laughs> right uh-huh oh the playground <laughs> the things we heard you know we've had um quite a bit of discussion about the the way technology works in this uh time period three thousand years from now um i'm wondering about people communicate visually so much on screen and there's always these times where we've seen it before in past episodes, but this time when it happened, I went ahead and made a note of it. Um, and I want to know: Is video communication voice activated? It, like, is mm. is are they always on standby, and then it comes on when they have something to say? Uh, okay. Because Expound. we had, we had a situation here where Tear, in classic Tear fashion, decided he had some some witty. Snarky remark that he needed needed to make, and he just pops up on the screen for Dylan to see. He makes his comment, and then he's gone. <laughs> well, they're on the same ship, and as we've already established, Tyr hears all. He mm-hmm. hears everything, regardless of if if there's a video feed or audio feed or not. Right. So yeah, I mean that doesn't seem like anything new. Okay. But now that you've brought it up with this deal with video, um, it. <sighs> What I'm wondering now, after this episode concludes and the credits roll, I really want to know if someone's going to tell Dylan that Harper has generated a program that is able to recreate Dylan's uh, very convincing image on Mm -hmm. video display. 
And simply by talking, uh, that program mimics. And so you can broadcast yourself as Dylan Hunt anywhere in the universe, apparently, now. Um, are they going to inform Dylan that that exists? Because this seems dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I kind of wonder why uh, Andromeda didn't put a stop to this in the beginning. Um, it's sort of um, counterfeit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and even if, you know, for some reason Andromeda is on board with this whole thing, I'm, you know, maybe the Casimirians are going to mention it. By, by the way, while you were away, do you know what the kids did? <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're cool with the whole Commonwealth thing. We're convinced. But there is this one little area. <laughs> you might need to, to administer some discipline or sharpen that up just a little bit. It's interesting to me that Harper and Becca had all of that time to interact with the, the Casimirian Council and the leadership and, and go through this whole rigmarole of trying to get them to sign. Where was the ship? The ship never appears in any of those sequences, does it? The Casimirian ship? No. Or no, the Andromeda? No, on, on Andromeda. Andromeda never yeah. shows up on screen or anything to and and it always seems to show up as a hologram or on the screen to give advice mm-hmm. or you know even just play secretary yeah incoming call mm-hmm. it, it, there's none of that happening it's just Becca and Harper on the ship you know what that's true um you know must have been uh scheduling because you know Rami she's she's with Dylan right now right so we can't have uh, we can't have Lexa being also on this set and this set at the same time. So <laughs> I guess, yeah, uh, huh? Of course, they did with Dylan. Yes, they did. They uh, did. I mean, granted, that's 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 pre-recorded, you know. And why couldn't they do the same thing with with but, Andromeda? But that's Kevin Sorbo in two places at once. Uh huh. I just, I just, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I'm just saying it's interesting that they didn't incorporate her in any of those scenes it is interesting that she is absent without any explanation yeah Mm kind of like um rev bim i mean you know he's been gone for months now (laughs) (laughs) except we got explanation oh did we yeah we did oh we finally got explanation right okay it was interesting this whole deal with uh with ryan leaving this the clarion casino i always think about on these shows where there's always these these big action scenes and these things take place, and then our heroes and everyone involved with the plot move on to another place, right? And we seem to forget that there was still a place where something happened before. Mm-hmm. But the rest of us have moved on. The people that were there, they're still there. So I kind of wonder, you know, are, are all these nightsiders just kind of wandering around going, where's our greeter? Yeah, who's going to tell them about the Elosian Bar? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there's all this stuff. Somebody, somebody's supposed to be doing this. <laughs> People were just walking into this casino and just wandering aimlessly now because because well, no this one's... is a faceless corporation that's <laughs> just going to take our money. <laughs> they should at least have an android. Speaking at the door. of which, what happens when the greeter leaves Walmart? Yeah, um, <laughs> I don't. I don't think anything happens. You don't think the managers don't know? To, well, I guess they wouldn't, because there's not gunshots and stuff happening in the doorway. I think, I think that usually. Would be the thing. <laughs> Although <Yeah>. these days, <laughs> anyway, that's a whole different discussion. Yeah, I want to circle back around again to this whole video scenario that, oh, yeah. that you brought up. Okay, uh, and the fact that for 187 IQ, 
Doesn't it seem a bit ridiculous that Harper would forget something as simple as the off button mm. in order to kill the comm feed before Becca starts to celebrate her her victory? Well, yeah, I mean, but somebody like that, he's he's concentrating on all the big stuff, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So. And so those small details, those are usually left to the minions. Those okay. Are, the people underneath. Or maybe this would have been a good time for Andromeda to show up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and go ahead. Hold and, on. Before yeah. comm channel closed. Okay. There we go. Now you can gloat. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you're saying that Harper is some sort of a savant. Could be, yeah. So that the, the, the minor detail like that would have been just... It's something that he would do. Yeah. Okay. I mean, let's face it. We've seen there's there are plenty of things that Harper is not good at. True. So... Yes. Talking to women. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. That seems to be the main thing. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. And also disconnecting comlinks. <laughs> disconnecting comlinks. Yep. yep. All right. And I guess the one last thing that I thought of that was kind of odd um, in the battle at the end as the fleet's trying to get away, mm-hmm. or just before, Tyr flying the Maru, taking out one Nietzschean fighter. Seriously, it took an entire missile payload to take out one fighter. And therefore, they couldn't take the shuttle that was bringing in the eraser. Hmm. Uh, that if I were Tyr, I'd be ashamed. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> oh, what a horrible shot! <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, that's the thing that we we don't know exactly um, how many that is, do we? We just know I, I don't it, it think took the heard. whole thing. No. It's the whole thing. But I mean, come on, they're carrying more than two or three missiles, and I can't imagine it taking more than two or three missiles. To take out an Ichian fighter. Yeah, well, I mean, you ever see when, when the Andromeda launches a, a barrage of missiles? I mean, it's just like, it's hundreds at a true, time. True, <laughs> You know, uh, well, let's say, let's say the Maru only has, you know, seven or eight. I mean, it, it, it was kind of retrofitted. Yeah, This isn't that's something true. that the Maru had when it first came onto the Andromeda. You know that was a uh, that was a later edition. Okay, kind of makes me wonder how Becca got out of all those tight spots. <laughs> no all, doubt, all those times before. No doubt, she didn't have any. Mis- I guess it has what it has point defense lasers. Yeah, that's all they got, which seemed to work quite effectively. Yeah, or I mean, you can. We have learned that you know if all else fails, you can always just explode your anti-proton tanks. True. True. Yeah. Uh, okay. So all right, maybe they didn't have that many missiles, or I guess. Maybe we should think about how good was this pilot. Uh-huh. That's true. Yeah. Maybe that was the best Nietzschean pilot. Maybe so. Yeah. What what happens now that he's gone? Well, I think the entire Nietzschean empire is going to fall. Oh, that one pilot being taken out now. That's He was the hinge. He was the linchpin for well, the whole thing. All right. Well, maybe emptying that missile payload was worth it then. Yeah. And that, that also explains why Tyr wasn't so upset. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because he knows this was a really big deal. Yeah. I mean, we we got him, and it only took us ten missiles. <laughs> we should really be proud of ourselves right now. Right. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I guess I get to think of it that way. Okay. Okay. So let's let's talk about some of the things that actually uh, happened and were important in this episode. Um, one of the things, I guess, let's let's start off with uh, something we we may be forgetting. And I think it was because it was such a small part of this episode, but the B-plot. You, you remember that? Right, there is a B-plot. Yeah. Um, so, Becca's speech. Yes. There at the end, once she finally gets the uh, the 
the the Casimirian dignitary yeah. to to come aboard the Andromeda, and then she delivers this incredible speech, right, mm-hmm. and just really turns his head on this whole thing. Yeah. Um. So that speech. What did you think of that speech? Uh, to be honest, it, it kind of reminded me of, of uh, well, of, of something that you do, Ryan. Okay, what's um, that? At times, when you're in trouble, uh-huh. and I've seen you in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just, well, our families have spent some time together. Sure, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, there's there's something that you do, and it, it, it goes something like, well, in my defense, uh-huh. I did screw up. Okay. I, I am wrong. Uh-huh. <laughs> and... and that very much felt like what Becca was doing here, and it, I, I nothing about her speech really to me spoke of okay. Well, these are well-meaning people, and mm-hmm. I should I should you know give them a pass. There's nothing that can be forgiven about what Becca did. <laughs> you know, she just she made a huge mistake. And in any other situation, I think uh, a leader or a government would be completely turned away and lost mm-hmm. in this in this case. It'd be a lost cause. Didn't it to you kind of come across more as if you don't want us and we don't want you? Yeah. Yeah, that is true. I'm just not really sure at <laughs> what point in that speech something in his head clicked that made him think, yeah, in spite of all that's happened, I want to go ahead and sign on with these people. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I would have been more like, thank you for wasting my time. I'm going to go back to my safe planet now <laughs> where we yeah. don't deceive each other. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I talked earlier about the soundtrack. This was one part where I actually did pay attention to the soundtrack. Of the episode. Okay. Um, And I think it was all about the soundtrack, because I don't actually think it was a soundtrack. I think it was actually music that was being played on the Andromeda. Oh, like Rami was, or or Andromeda was helping out. Yeah, yeah, because you know how music can be powerful. Oh, yeah. It can really draw out emotions you didn't even know that you had for something, right? Yes. Okay, if you listen to that music and you watch the delivery of that speech and the way he receives that speech, the musical cue is perfectly in time with when he turns his head up. Yeah. And you can see it in his eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm falling for this. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, I'm going with this. I'm on board with this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, that's an excellent point. Right. Yeah. And, and very much tongue in cheek, but... <laughs> But, yeah, I, I get it, because obviously if you're listening to the words, I mean, honestly, if I tried this with my wife, what do you think the result's going to be? Sure, Ethan, you can come sleep on my couch. <laughs> exactly. Uh-huh. Exactly. Uh, something else that I feel like we, we could discuss and explore maybe just a little bit more about the universe, in AIs interacting with each other. We had this moment where Rami... And Achilles are interacting in the Matrix together. Yeah. Um, there's this interesting exchange that they have in discussing that moment that Rami was caught in for 300 years versus Achilles' perspective existing for 300 years mm-hmm. in, in at Tartarus, basically. And Rami, you know, she, she gives the... Uh, the speech there about it being the longest moment. Well, not really a speech, but she makes the comment. It was the longest moment of my life. Achilles just makes the claim. Did you, did you experience the moment? Did you fear throughout 
the 300 years or was it just a moment for you? And Rami mm-hmm. says it was the longest moment of my life. And somehow in comparison with the two, considering what Achilles went through mm-hmm. <laughs> versus what Rami had to deal with, her claim seems awful hollow, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. I think it's someone who uh, is really reaching to try to establish uh, try to establish some commonality here. And, yeah. and it's just not really working. <laughs> you know, it's like somebody who's gone through a terrible, terrible ordeal. You know, someone who's gone through, I don't know, let's say the Holocaust. And, you know, someone was like, yeah, I know, I... I got picked on in school. Yeah. So so I feel yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very good comparison, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's interesting to think about. Uh, Rami's an AI, and obviously AIs have uh, a lot of processes they go through throughout the course of a, from one moment to the next. Mm-hmm. I mean, Andromeda herself is thinking about what command she's just taken on the command deck. She also may have 12 different crew members in a full crew, maybe uh, talking at the same time and, and asking her about, you know, things on the ship that may be going on at the same moment. And then at the same time, she's calculating, you know, oxygen levels for all the different compartments and gravity uh, variations and how quickly to turn on, turn up the uh, artificial, um, yeah, how, how fast to speed up the engines or, or whatever the case may be. That's going on moment to moment to moment. So in that moment, when she's trapped on the event horizon, you know, yeah, she's probably got, what, a dozen processes going at the same time or more? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, I see Achilles' point. That's not experiencing the passage of time, is it? Well, no. I mean, you think about what exactly happened to them in the black hole. Did they – were they frozen in time or did they time travel to the future? It kind of depends on which way you want to look at that. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I guess in my perspective, I've always viewed it as they were not actually frozen in time. But it was just a very slow – it was a three it, – it was a click of a second – that took 300 years to pass, mm-hmm. if I can, if that makes sense. Yeah. And they weren't frozen. There were... Th- it was- well, as time travel, none of it makes sense. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but for them, it was just... It wasn't like going to bed at night and then having your last thought and then immediately waking up the next moment. And it's... it's Yeah, eight hours or seven hours or however long has passed, but you, you have a clear demarcation from one thought to the next. Mm-hmm. And it... I don't view it as being like that for them in right. that in that moment in the ver- event horizon. It was just a continuation of it was just slowed down an awful lot. Yeah, and you know the other thing that kind of makes me not buy it is the fact that is that we saw Rami come out of that. She didn't know what had happened. She had to check the star charts before she finally figured out, "Oh, we got a problem here." Yeah. Yeah. So to say that that moment that she was frozen in time, I'm using air quotes, that couldn't really have been the longest moment of her life because isn't that one of those things? It's it's a that's an introspective kind of a thing to say. Isn't yeah, that's, it? that's a hindsight comment. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's like you know if something terrible happens at work, you know, oh man, it was such a long day at work. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, that's just something you say because it was a terrible time and just the clock could not tick any faster for you, right? Yes. You only know that if you understand the situation that you're in. 
Yeah. If you use the example of, of going to sleep at night and then waking up the next morning, you're not really aware of the passing of the time while you're sleeping. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the point you were trying to make. Yeah. And <clears throat> and I think you made it. I just I just reused it uh to suit my own purposes. But <laughs> Yeah, you don't you don't wake up in the morning and say that was the longest night of sleep I've ever had. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you do if you really had a good night's sleep, right? Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm confusing myself now. Yeah. No, but that's what happens just, when you start talking about time It just dilation. seems like yeah, I, I hear you. I'm just saying it was interesting the, that Achilles was able to call her out. Yeah. Is it, you're trying to you're, you're trying to pass yourself off as you know, 300 years, you know, it's, it's been the same for you. It hasn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was, it was, uh, what, two years ago. Mm-hmm. It was two years ago and, and you had no concept of what happened in the time in between. Achilles, though, experienced that passage of time and it had an effect on him. Right. And the rest of the fleet. Uh, yeah. You know, something that we talk about quite a bit on this show because the show kind of requires us to. Slipstream. Okay. Okay. We've had a lot of discussions about slipstream and how it works, and we've we've seen before uh, there is precedent that you can link a fleet of ships to one ship with a pilot, and that one pilot can navigate them all through slipstream. Yeah. And that's what they're doing here, right? Yes. Except that they didn't. Well, why not? Well, if you go back and look at that shot. The slipstream opens, the Maru goes in, and then the slipstream closes behind them. There's no fleet that follows with them. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think you might be splitting hairs a little bit. Am I? I mean, this is this is a low-budget production. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't a scene specifically made for this episode. That was probably stock footage of the Maru just going into slip sp- slipstream. Okay, I can I can accept that. Okay. Um. And I and I'm not saying that they have to to make all the models and do all the the the, the CGI to to actually have all of these fifty or forty seven for however many ships are left left over yeah. going into the slipstream. I don't. I'm not saying that that's necessary, but just don't show the portal closing behind the Maru. <laughs> so if that's footage that you have and you want to show that, then just show. Show the slipstream opening, show the Maru going in, and then cut away now. <laughs> right? Or do like they do sometimes where you don't even have to show an exterior shot. Yeah. Just everyone's inside, and then all of a sudden you kind of get that... And everybody kind of shakes back and forth, you yeah. know, wishing they had seatbelts, but of course they don't. They don't. Yeah. No, I hear you. So so basically what you're, you've got an editing gripe. I guess so. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know... It's Understandable. Just, well, Understandable. It, it, it just takes the whole premise of that conclusion and turns it on its head. It says, yeah, we took all these these ships that have been stranded and we brought them back through the slipstream with us. No, you didn't. Because <laughs> we saw you leave them behind. <laughs> uh, oops. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now you got to fly close to that dwarf star again and you know oh no the Nietzschean the Nietzschean fleet took them out at that point oh yeah they got left behind that's right they're gone (laughs) you're right wow this is is even worse than I thought yeah yeah no except that you're wrong okay it's just you're you're hung up on an editing well no I'm right (laughs) (laughs) okay 
It's just that it's not what happened. Yeah. It's not what we're led to believe right. actually happened, even though it's what I It saw. wasn't what we were shown. Yeah. I, I We've been told, yeah. but we, that's not what we were shown. <laughs> right. <laughs> I guess it's true that they say uh, eyewitness testimony is the worst, because I'm going to tell you right now, I know what I saw. <laughs> right. But by the end of this episode, no, it's they clear. Got it's clear. They got there. Right. Yep. All right. Um, another question that I had was, we find out here, Dylan wants to find Ryan, the Clarion's call, right? Because uh, they need his help. They know that the Nietzscheans have been trying for some time to figure out a way to erase the AI off of these ships. And now they have found a way to do it. I want to know, how did Dylan know that? I, I guess it happened because it had to. Oh, okay. Because it needed to. Oh, okay. So in order for this story to happen, we just had to already assume that somehow Dylan had intel. Yes. All right. And we don't need any further explanation for that. Why would you expect it? Uh, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> yeah, no, okay. Ryan. Oh, come okay. on. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, it, it's like, well, like mm-hmm. your whole thing with slips, Slipstream. Right. Uh, which I thought was where you were going earlier. Okay. I mean, slip, Slipstream is, as it takes as long in Slipstream to get to a place as it has to, okay. right? As, right. As, as, as long as the plot requires. Right. Well, that that's exactly what's happened here. Okay. Okay. Dylan has that because he has to have that intelligence. Okay. So Slipstream in Andromeda is as the turbo lifts are to Star Trek. Yes. Right. How long does it take to get somewhere? As long as the conversation needs to be. Exactly. Okay. (laughs) And, And, you know, another thing that I thought was interesting was that when they're talking about going to get these ships, the reason they want to get these, I mean, this is... If the Nietzscheans get a hold of these 50 high guard ships. Well, um, not 50. Well, at the time, there's 50. True. Okay. That's why they want to get there. Okay. So they, if, if the Nietzscheans can get a hold of these 50 high guard ships and be able to take them over, um, that's enough ships and enough armament to conquer all of known space. Wait, what? That's. Yeah. <laughs> the, it turns wow. out. It turns out. That all it takes to conquer all known space, which I guess we're going to say that's the three galaxies, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, 50 high guard ships. That's all. That seems a bit optimistic. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this is this is Dylan's calculation here. Yeah. So, um, did I'm, they hold to that the whole episode? Uh, not really. They kind of they kind of waffle a little on that because later they say you know that's enough to conquer half of known space. Yeah, that seems a little more reasonable. St- yeah, it still seems optimistic though. It, I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking. I don't know probably. how many ships the High Guard originally had in its fleet before the fall, <laughs> but I mean, if only fifty can control at least at least half of it, yeah. Then, man, they had such a tight grip. It's no wonder the Nietzscheans wanted to, to well, overthrow them. Let's think about this for a second, yeah. though. Where have we seen the High Guard in act, or where, where do we know they've been in action in mass quantities? Um, Witchhead? Yeah, and, you know, I mean, if you think about Witchhead, they were able to take out 10,000 Nietzschean ships, and it was just the well, Andromeda by second. itself. Uh, but that was with, with uh, someone out of time assisting. Yeah. 
So I don't know that you can exactly count that as, you know, power of the fleet. Hmm. Okay. Um, Other than that, no. 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 Because it seems to me as, as history would recount, according to this universe, the Nietzscheans defeated the High Guard, right? Yeah. And I'm sure the High Guard had more than 50 ships that the Nietzscheans defeated. Yeah, it just kind of seems kind of weird, especially when we've already seen, we've seen other civilizations in this present time now, in this yeah. universe, you know. Uh, remember the Pyrians? Oh, yeah. So they, they had, exist. They had, they had a big old ship, and they... And it was comparable. Dylan, Dylan was scared. <laughs> a little bit. He was frightened. Yeah. Um, he said they are every bit as comparable to our power in yeah. armament, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure 50 ships would do I'm it. I'm thinking he may have misspoke. Okay. I, I, think he, I think he just, he really wanted these ships. Yeah. And so maybe he overstated the, their importance. Okay. Maybe that was to appeal to Tyr. Maybe so. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that, with these 50 ships, got, we could take over the universe. That must have got his attention. Right. He's on board. Okay. Yeah. Well, Ryan, I, I feel like we've maybe danced around this subject just a little bit. Okay. Uh, does, doesn't this feel like an episode where we maybe have a chance to talk about AI again? Nope. Let's move on. Okay. Yeah. I guess we got to talk about AI a little bit. I think we may have to just a little bit. Okay. All right. Uh, so, yes. Uh, it, obviously, AI has a lot to do with this episode. Um, let's think about, I, w- I want to start with the ships or well, not, not the ships. Uh, let's start with Ryan. Okay. You want me to go first? Uh, no, not you, Ryan. Oh, me talking about Ryan in the, in the episode. Right. right. Okay. It's confusing for me. I, go ahead. I hear you. Um, so Ryan is on the clarion's call mm-hmm. and is talking with Dylan or not on the clarion's call. They're they're he's already been removed off the clarion's call. They're in the ship on their way to Tartarus. That's where it was. Okay. And and Ryan has opportunity to tell Dylan how he got away and, and how he got where he was at. Does he tell him the truth? Yeah. Well, from a certain point of view. Yeah. <laughs> You'll often find that many truths. <laughs> uh he lied to him. Okay. He lied to Dylan. While they're on their way to the place where they would learn the truth very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. This brings up a concern of mine. Uh, AI have the ability to choose to lie. That seems like a, that seems like a glaring fault in their programming somehow. Doesn't it? Yeah. Not really sure where to go with that. Other than the (laughs) fact that that kicks off this discussion of AI and everything that goes wrong with it. (laughs) And that's what always happens is AI seems to always, always go wrong. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, how often do we have, can we say it's a sci-fi trope? Uh, Very much so. Okay. Yeah. It seems like anytime there's an AI, something goes bad. Yeah. So, I mean, that that, that kicks off kind of our discussion of AI. Mm -hmm. Um, And it really ties into this whole idea of free will too. Yeah. How short-sighted did the heart was the high guard in giving their AIs free will, free choice? Because isn't it something that we take for granted? The fact that when when we use something that is programmed, it does what we ask it to do, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. That's its purpose, yeah. right? Okay, so AI is there to assist the humans in flying their ships or fighting or whatever the case may be, right? Yeah. What happens when you push a button and the AI says, I don't want to do that? I'm going to have a problem with that. Exactly. 
you know, you buy a computer for the for the purpose of it being a computer. Yes. Um, you, you buy a printer for the purpose of it being a printer, right? Yes. That's what it was made to do. That's what Dylan says. He says, that's what you were built for. Yeah. Um, seems very carbon chauvinistic of him to say <laughs> from the AI's point of view, but, you know, AI probably shouldn't have a point of view. Um, you know, I, I buy a printer for the purpose of it being a printer. I don't expect that printer to have a range of free will to decide if it wants to work, when it wants to work, what it wants to print, if it's going to print in black and white or color, or maybe today it wants to be a fax machine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this seems like a real problem that the High Guard and the Commonwealth has gotten itself into. No wonder it fell. Right. I mean, when you're building machines that have the ability to... Did, they, did these ships not seem like petulant teenagers rebelling against the parents? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to an extent. Right. And, and so we have this whole discussion of free will. And yeah, that's a discussion that any living being needs to have with itself or, or, or in discussing other beings. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned carbon chauvinism. I'm going to let a little bit of my carbon chauvinism uh, show here. I don't think these AIs needed free choice. Yeah. It seems like a bad idea to have given it to them. Well, I mean, if, if it's one thing, if we're going to assume that this is some sort of uh, the way that the the technology improves and it becomes self-aware you know it's like a rise of the machines kind of a thing if humans didn't actually create them to be that way it just kind of happened uh then you have the whole moral and ethical question of what do you do with them then if at that point you decide that they are sentient they're living Mm -hmm. right and apparently that's what they've done here is they well no no i mean that they have they decide that they are living and they are sentient Uh, for the most part yeah right um, but, but if you start out from the beginning, building them and designing them to be that way, to be able to have that sense of self and sentience and being able to make those decisions and giving them that measure of free will. Hmm, yeah. You're kind of asking for trouble. Absolutely. I mean, I, I have, I have two little girls and they're awesome, beautiful little girls. Sometimes I don't really like the fact that they have free will all the time. <laughs> if they would just do what I tell them to do. And maybe I think if I could have made them to be that way, it doesn't work with, with humans, with biological uh, individuals like we are. Yeah, Our offspring have to have free will. That's just, that's that's just the way it that's is. That's how it is. Um, but we're not designing them from the molecule up. Yes. Like you are with these computers and and so Yeah. It, it just it, seems a bit short sighted. Yeah. On, just on the Commonwealth part to right. do this. I agree. You're probably creating problems for yourself yeah. down and, the road. And you touched on the time period and how their personalities changed. Uh which comes around to an idea that I thought was odd. Ryan at one point says, Since when did AI stand for artificial insanity? Right. Um, how about every other time we've seen artificial (laughs) intelligence go insane? Right. Because of the time being left alone. We have Pax Magellanic. We have Balance of Judgment. Right. We have all of this AI that's gone insane. It's, uh, man, let's just start referring AI as artificial insanity anyway, Uh because it just seems like that's the case. Right. 
I like how later on in the episode they turned that around on him and they said, well, Ryan said it starts for it stands for artificial insanity. I'm like, no, he didn't. That's not what he said. He said the exact opposite. Right. But uh, yeah, I guess that's a thing now. I guess so. Yeah. Yep. Hey, if an AI says it, then it's okay. Uh, I got a few questions about, since we're on AIs, I have a few questions about about the AI itself, the ship AI, and the Avatar. Now, this is a discussion that we've had before, uh, but it comes up again in a slightly different way, because, you know, everyone on the Andromeda is attached to Rami, mm-hmm. the Avatar. Yeah. All right? They really love her, especially Harper. Is that love? Well, that's a whole other discussion. Never mind. I didn't bring that up. Okay. Um, yeah, so we don't want to see anything bad happen to, to Rami. She's a beloved character. She's a beloved member of this crew. Yeah. I kind of wonder how the Andromeda itself feels about that avatar. Well, I, I, I shouldn't say I wonder because we, we kind of know, don't we? Remember in Rose in the Ashes when Rami went away yeah. for a while? Kind of a little bit lost. Yeah. Yeah. It was a problem. Yeah. That is not in keeping with the way Achilles feels here. <laughs> because he pretty much just throws his avatar up <laughs> as a shield. Yes, he does. Let's it get killed. And then when Ryan's like, hey, Achilles, and then the ship is... Is just an avatar. We can build another one. (laughs) It's not a big deal, dude. It's not that important. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh I hadn't really thought of it in that context. But yeah, he does just walk down the hall. Time to die. And then (laughs) who dies? Right. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, and you kind of wonder about how how does Ryan feel about that? Yeah, especially considering the position that Ryan's in. Mm -hmm. Um, Ryan's not tied to a ship, is he? If he is, it's a long tether. Yeah. So, oh, man, what happens if Ryan gets killed? I mean, obviously, Achilles doesn't really care if Ryan dies or not, apparently. Right, right. Um, but what what would have happened if Ryan had been shot? Well, I, my first thought is when Achilles says to him, it's just an avatar, it's not big of a deal, Ryan's like, speak for yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He's concerned. Uh-huh. What's going on with the Clarion's call right now? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's a casino. It's been converted, but it still has that functioning AI, right? Sure. Or else Ryan wouldn't be able to to be connected to it there. True. And then he's just taken off. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, and then that gets into a whole other discussion about when, at the end, Ryan takes over the Achilles. Mm-hmm. Is... Does is there a program that shuts off his AI that's on the Clarion's call now? Or is he one avatar for two ships? What's going on? Is there another copy of him out there? Oh, man. Okay, so yeah, this is all kinds of questions that we don't have answers to. Uh, what's the dominant person? What is the dominant force in that relationship, typically? Well, is, I is think it the ship that's the dominant? It seems like it's it's been established that it's the ship AI... That is alive and sentient. Okay. And then there is the avatar that kind of represents the ship. Yes. Which also seems to have its own, well, definitely has its own sentience as well. Um, but it's more of the slave to the master ship. Yes. Yeah. We saw that in Starcrossed with the balance of judgment. And Gabriel. Gabriel mm-hmm. was, for all intents and purposes, he was a good guy. Yeah. 
he really cared about Andromeda and wanted to do the right thing, but it was just it was in his programming because that that master intelligence of the balance of judgment was taking over and making him do things that he didn't want to do. True, true. So now the question is, if there is some sort of link between Ryan and the Clarion's call, mm-hmm. at some point does Ryan, uh, in whatever position he's in, suddenly decide that he needs to convert the Achille- Wrath of Achilles into a casino ship? <laughs> is that what happens now? I guess, yeah. Because it's, it's the most powerful casino <laughs> in known space. In the black and paying back. Uh, <laughs> red, red alert. Ready yeah. slot machines. Yeah. Okay, so we have the... Yeah. And evidently a- he's the kind of the established leader of the fleet. So yeah. now all these hide card ships are all just going to turn into casinos now. <laughs> it's just going to be like the Vegas Strip. Apparently so. Yeah. Hmm. Well, uh, yeah. And so now, now thinking about uh, Ryan in, in charge of the Wrath of Achilles, um, how do you feel about that, Ryan? Um, I'm asking you, Ryan, okay. in front of me, okay. about Ryan being made captain of the Achilles. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's... Um, cause there's different ways to, I remember, mm, this is a bad idea. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know where you thought you were going with that, was, but it had to trying, end with. I try to put a bat, a positive spin on a bad situation, but you know, I'm just like, you know, Dylan says, Hey, this ship needs a captain and I'm looking at him. You're the man, and I'm screaming at the TV. Hey, do you remember the Pax Magellanic? <laughs> right. Do you remember the balance of judgment? Right. Why could this possibly be a bad idea? Yeah. It's funny how this episode completely takes precedent. The precedent that's been set as far as AI being in charge of itself and completely tosses it out the window. Yeah. Just with those two episodes. Mm Mm-hmm. Because what was it that that Dylan did with Rami at the end of of, uh, the one with the balance of judgment? Yeah, in Starcrossed... um Rami was terrified. She wanted to be dismantled and erased because she was terrified that if this could happen to him, that it could happen to her. Mm -hmm. And Dylan assured her that's not going to happen because the, because Gabriel, the balance of judgment didn't have a heart and you do because I'm your heart. I'm your captain. The balance of that's a, that's a difference. The balance of judgment didn't have a captain. Yeah. And because of that, it went crazy. It yeah. lost perspective and went crazy. You've got me. That's never going to happen to you. There's always going to be someone. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so where is that now for Ryan? It's out the window. <laughs> exactly. Be- because now he's he's in charge. He's his own AI, and he's in charge of his own ship. And all we have seen is bad things when that happens. When yeah. they're left alone to their own... To their own devices, they just... Now, party to this. Okay. Dylan does bring up faith. Ryan has problems acting because he has well, he has no self-confidence. He has no faith. Okay. Um, Dylan kind of instills some in, in him by saying, you don't have to be invincible. Just do your best. Keep the faith. Things will work out. Right? Mm, okay. That's basically what, what Dylan says to him. Mm-hmm. And then at the end... But you gotta have faith. <laughs> in the end, Ryan does act as he should and does what he's supposed to. And and that's all apparently Dylan has to see 
is one time of him doing that. Then Dylan says, Faith found you. Right. What? <laughs> I one act? Uh-huh. Uh, uh and your 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 confidence is fully invested in this AI who was uh an inferior product built by nightsiders um whose dominant personality could at some point be caught up by a casino ship <laughs> that, that will convert your warship into a, you know, floating entertainment spot. Mhm. I, I'm I'm sorry. I'm just not seeing how Faith even relates in this situation. I understand in the, in the context of the episode what Dylan is saying. Mm-hmm. Again, precedent has been set though mm-hmm. <laughs> that totally would undermine any faith that you could put in Ryan. Right. I think what Dylan should have said was, "This is a good start." Yes. Now let's go find you a human captain to help you out here. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, that is absolutely what should be done. Mm-hmm. But it isn't. No. Okay, I think that's something we could go on and on and about for hours. Something tells me we may have this discussion yet again. You know, we always say that we'll probably discuss this again, and we always do. Yes. So, we'll probably discuss this again. Let's go ahead and go over our quote for okay. this episode, okay? You want to do that? Let's do that. All right. A soldier's first battlefield is always his own mind. Admiral Costanza Stark. Hey, I know, I know that person. Yeah, we've seen I her I can put before. a face to that person. Yep. Yeah, we yep. sure have. We've seen her before. Yeah, and as far as the saying goes, I mean, obviously, that uh, that is something that, particularly in the last probably 20 or 30 years, um, here on Earth, in reality, <laughs> yeah. we have seen that play out. Because, I mean, how often do, do we hear of programs where... It's not simply enough to conscript a person and put a gun in their hands and tell them to fight for you uh, on a physical battlefield. Um, so much attention now is given to training. And not just training them how to fight, but you know, building bridges in a soldier's mind so that it can tear down certain walls so that they aren't, you know, uh, they don't have maybe the moral compunction about taking a life and things like that. And there are, you know, and that takes place in war games, video games, um, all kinds of exercises to break the, break down those barriers in the mind Mm -hmm. first. And then once that's done, then they become these fantastic soldiers, you know, and how much of that it plays out in reality. We know it does take place and we've seen evidence of it. It's also something that we see in, you know, comic books and movies and things like that too. So it's a very accurate statement that it is the mind where things start. And and it has bearing in day-to-day life as well. I mean, my first act of the day is to will myself out of bed (laughs) to go do something, you know? So yeah, you have to win that battle in your mind first before you can move on and accomplish whatever it is that you're setting out to do. Yeah. Yeah, I agree Uh, with pretty much everything that you just said. uh, Just ditto. Um, the only thing I'll add is that you, you know this was uh, this was Costanza Stark. Um, she's she's military. She has a military mind, and that's the way she thinks of things. So I mean, she's speaking specifically of soldiers. And as you touched on just a little bit at the very end, you know this this idea really goes for a lot more than just uh, military and for soldiers. It it is really for everything that we do in life. I mean, how many times have you seen in like a, a medical drama or something where you have the, the 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 medical student or the intern, 
and something goes wrong and they're just devastated. Yeah. And then you have the older ones, the attendings, the mentors for them that are saying, you know, you can't let it be personal. Right. Right. That's part of that conditioning of the mind. And what it seems like on the other side from the patient's point of view is that doctors don't care about you. Mm -hmm. That's not really true. I, I think a lot of us get upset about that when the doctor comes in. How are you doing? Okay, bye. Right? Yeah. But they can't get close. They can't let it get personal. Or they'd never be able to do their job. Right. It, that whole that does open up a whole other discussion, though. Okay. Is, 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 yes, you have to keep some walls up. But there's also some doctors that seem like that. Well, anyway, that that it really is a whole different discussion, <laughs> right? And you know what? I'm I, I'm just using that as an, as example, an example, right? As, as far as the conditioning of the mind. I mean, you could say the same thing. I'm sure with with accountancy or you know anything. Lawyers. May, maybe I should have said that. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. But, but just the point being that in just pretty much anything we do in life, if you're going to be good at it, if you're going to be successful. You've got to be able to. You've got to have that mental condition for whatever that may be. Yeah, you know, some people need to be a lot more uh, compassionate, compassionate yeah. and personable, depending on what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's just. But any in any event, I think that this this quote holds true that the first battlefield is always your own mind. Yeah. You've got to be prepared for whatever it is that yeah. you have to do. Yeah. I, I will say we've had several of these quotes in the last few weeks, uh, or the last few episodes that we've reviewed that, um, I didn't really give much thought to, but I mm -hmm. thought this one really did apply extremely well mm -hmm. to, for this episode. Sure. All right. So I think we've, uh, we've talked it to death now. Let's go ahead and wrap it up. Um, Ethan, I'll put it to you. Just the night, death, and the devil. What are your feelings on this episode? Final, final thoughts. You know, I really did like this episode. Um, I enjoyed watching it. I've watched it, say, I think three or four times, um, getting prepared for this discussion. And enjoy it every time I see it. It's great. Until I get to that last segment where Ryan is made captain. And... <laughs> And at that point, it, you, you were talking about screaming at the television. <laughs> I mean, that's almost the reaction that I would have had to this uh, in every rewatch. It gets to the end, it's just like, nope, not going to turn out well. You know? Uh, and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, if, if I was a fly on the wall and I knew everything that had gone on with all of this AI junk that had happened with the balance of judgment, with the Pax Magellanic, if I was privy to that information, but I was living on some planet as one of the 50 charter worlds of the Commonwealth, um, I think I might have a little problem sleeping at night, mm -hmm. knowing that there is a ship out there, the largest, most powerful ship in the fleet now, with an AI as its captain. Hmm. <laughs> it would just, it would bug me just a little bit. Yeah. And it's a good episode. Definitely watch it. It's a fun episode to watch. There's a lot going on. But I really have a problem with how it kind of forgets itself it forgets everything that's happened before in the universe by allowing this one thing to happen and i know that's picky to do that but it, we've revisited this idea several times now and now suddenly we're supposed to just be okay with with letting this happen right and i i i don't buy it mm -hmm. and and it really detracts a lot from my being able to really appreciate this episode through and through mm-hmm yeah, I agree that that is a pretty big problem. Um, 
is like you say, because we already have seen this happen. We've seen what happens when an AI is in charge of itself, and it's bad things every single time. And other than that, I really don't have any problem with this episode, except for the time when the Maru went into the slipstream <laughs> and, and none of the other ships came with it. Right. Um, but we know that that's not actually how that happened. That was just an editing thing. That was a visual thing that they didn't quite get right. Um, and I don't think that's enough to ruin the episode. The making Ryan a captain, I strongly disagree with that. I don't think they should have had, should have done that. I think what's going to happen is they're going to let him try it for a few weeks, and then they're going to say, you know what, this isn't working. Okay. You did your best, but we've, we've, we forgot that this doesn't work, <laughs> so we're going to give you a captain, you know? Yes. And, and I think Ryan's going to be totally cool with that, honestly. <laughs> so I think this is a problem. It's going to work itself out. Okay. So if I think of it that way then that problem goes away. Okay. And now it's a good episode all around. Okay. Okay? So... That's a good spin. Okay. I like that. <laughs> um, yeah. What's, uh, what, what's Dylan's girlfriend doing? Surely at this point, they, she's got nothing else going on. Yeah. Um, Maybe they can bring her in. Probably. I mean, she's been in training for at least she what, knows, she knows five, how to, six weeks now. She knows how to fly a touring ship. Yeah. She's had experience with people. Make her captain. There you go. That's probably a better idea than letting the AI handle it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> just have, just, you just need a warm body in the seat. That's, there you go. that's all you got to do. Uh, <laughs> that, that can say, whoa, wait, destroying that planet of innocent people, mm -hmm. that might be a bad idea. Let's right. not do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, everything else, you know, it's a fun episode. It's a it's an entertaining episode. Um, you also kind of like what could be coming out of this episode, if you think about this, because now you've got these this fleet of, of high guard ships coming back to join the Commonwealth. We've got 50 charter planets now yeah 50 worlds man what's to stop that's almost a high guard ship for every one of them that is true yeah that is true okay so now you've got all these all these ships i mean that's clearly that's enough firepower and enough uh ships to be able to conquer at least half of known space right it, exactly they've got this this is easy there's no one else in the universe now that is able to stop the commonwealth um except maybe the Perians. Right. Okay, so, I mean, but other than the Perians, who's going to stand in the way of the Commonwealth just taking the universe by force now? Uh, well, I think the Nietzscheans are still out there, and they've got a pretty good fleet. They are big. They are big. Okay, there's a lot of them, and they like to fight. Yeah. It's going to be a problem. So, yeah. But but other than the Perians and the Nietzscheans, there's really nobody at the Magog. But well, yeah, the, that's beside the point. We, they're still coming, though. That's a. I mean, it's a pretty big plot point. I mean, so we got to... You're right. Okay. All right. But but yeah. So you've got the the Perians, the Nietzscheans, and the Magog. But other than that, there's nobody else that really seems to be oh, that big of a. What about the Calderans? Yeah, the Calderans. They're they cause a lot of havoc and bloodshed. So, but other than that, really, who is yeah, there? Yeah. The, no. You, you've got the no Perians, Nietzscheans, Magog, and the Calderans. Yeah. That's all you've got, and the Genites. And oh, yeah. So forgot about them. But, I mean, that's pretty much all there is. You've got the Perians, the Nietzscheans, the Magog, the Calderans, and the Genites. And once you get through those, there's really nobody oh, else. Oh, Ryan, uh, how could we have possibly forgotten the uh, consensus of parts? Yeah, that's a big one, huh? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, 
Okay. But still, they've got almost 50 of them, right? Yeah. Okay, so... Half of half of known space. Half of known is space theirs. is theirs. And then the other it. half, you know, of course, there's the Pyrians and Ichians, Magog, the Genites, Calderans, and the consensus of parts. But as far as, that's all that I can really think of that could pose any sort of a threat to this new system commonwealth. Things right? are looking up. I think so. Yeah. This is good. I mean, and if there is anyone else that could stand in their way besides the Pyrians, Nietzscheans, Magog, Genites, Calderans, and consensus of parts... Then I hope our listeners will let us know. Yeah. And if you would like to let us know who else is possibly out there, <laughs> we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email. You can do so by sending it to drivebackthenightpodcast at gmail.com. We're also on the social media using the handle at AndromedaPod on both Facebook and Twitter. Our website is on Podbean, www.andromedaseries.podbean.com. We're on iTunes as well, and we'd certainly appreciate it if you listen there to subscribe and give us a review or some stars. We definitely do appreciate that. And also, we just want to mention casually that if you are on our website, you might notice there's a tip jar. And if you were so inclined to drop something in there, it would be appreciated. Good thanks to our big friend, Doug Anderson, for lending us his voice once again for the opening quote of this episode. We are an Age of Geek production. That's www.ageofgeek.com. Check them out. I hear rumors that that podcast may be coming back to life. Rumors of its demise were grossly overstated. Yeah, could be. So look for that. I'm just going to plug that real quick. And we hope that you will join us back here again next time when we discuss the episode of Andromeda, Immaculate Perception. <laughs> <laughs>